What would you think if you noticed your dog stop barking, maybe started whining? What would you think if the birds stopped singing, stopped flying? If you were walking around and you observed the animals acting weird, would you know that you might be about to experience an earthquake? We're going to talk about the ground moving when we come back. Practical Prepping Podcast. We're helping everyday people become prepared for whatever emergencies come our way. Where gear is good, but knowledge is better because the more you know, the less you have to carry. We're your hosts, Mark and Krista Lawley. Hey, have you subscribed to the Practical Prepping newsletter? It's a free bi weekly email newsletter. There are tips and lists and ideas for prepping. We also do a lot of research to give you a heads up on items of which we might see shortages. So if you haven't subscribed, you need to. Just send us an email at info at practicalprepping.info or go to the website and click on contact us and let us know you want the newsletter. Well, hello and welcome to the podcast. We're glad you're with us today. We actually experienced a small earthquake in North Alabama this week. Yeah, it was so small, I missed it. Yeah, I read it on the the news. I think the weatherman talked about it. And Mm -hmm. I thought, well, I went, well, how about that? And it's not that uncommon for us to have a magnitude 2 earthquake in North Alabama. You know, there's a couple of very strong fault lines. The New Madrid that runs, you know, more closer to uh, Missouri, Arkansas. And then there's one even further t- toward us that there's a fault line there. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a very old and ancient fault line because, as you probably know, the Appalachian mountain range is far older than the Rocky Mountains. That I did not know. And that means that the fault lines and the volcanic and earthquake activity has been going on for a longer period of time. Okay. Yeah. I learned something. Educate yourself. (laughs) Now, I have experienced some of these small, barely detectable earthquakes over the years. But my greatest experience with an earthquake, 1993, it was in July, and it was when the big one hit Japan. Mm. I was in Hamilton, New Zealand. Right. And the group that I was with was all outside except for me. I had come down with a cold going from northern hemisphere to southern hemisphere. And so I just stayed inside and I was in the kitchen and I was, of all things, making a cup of coffee. (laughs) Of course you were. And all the dishes started rattling and you could feel the rumble in your feet. And that was several thousand miles away. Well, while you're speaking, I'm looking at a map on our wall, and I see Japan. Mm -hmm. And then thousands of miles south, I see New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And you're right. I mean, that is an extraordinary amount of distance. Well, it was devastating for Japan. Oh, absolutely. Was there not also a tsunami of some sort? I, I don't remember a tsunami, but I do remember feeling... And experiencing the dishes rattling in the kitchen. That's crazy. And it, it was quite eerie. That's a big one. Yeah, that, was, that quite was a big one. Eerie. Wow. And so we began to think that, you know, 
Earthquakes really are not on our radar that much. Not in this region. It's, it surprises us to hear about it's it. It's kind of like snow in Florida. Yeah, kind of rare. And so well, I don't think we've ever done a podcast dealing with earthquakes. You know, my daughter uh, contacted us. It's been several months ago. It might have been more than a year. And she felt the ground and earth moving in an earthquake experience that she had in North Carolina and called me to let me know you're going to be hearing about this earthquake on the news. And I think it was closer to a four point Richter scale mm-hmm. number, which, you know, that's, that's decent. It's fairly yeah. decent. I think it increases by a level of 10 for every number that it goes up, mm-hmm. like a times 10. So a four point something earthquake is noticeable. She heard it and she felt it. She said it, it was a strange low rumble. Mm-hmm. It was just an odd, you just knew something was different about it. And that's one of the signs of an earthquake. Even the large ones can begin with that low rumble, mm-hmm. or it can become a roaring. And, you know, earthquakes, a lot of times in the movies, they're depicted as the ground splitting open like a big hole. What's more likely to happen is tectonic shift, where plates of earth, they they get subduction, where they fall down, and another one uh, goes up over it, and they mm-hmm. slide this way, kind of like your hand sliding opposite. And that's actually how mountain ranges are formed over time, is that the ground will go down and the, the other ground will go up and slide up. And when the dust settles, rock and debris rests there. And then over time, as that continues to happen, the mountains continue to rise up. You know, so They've actually seen how the, the earthquakes can actually move the layers of earth mm-hmm. that way. Another sign is you can have a gentle rolling effect. Mm-hmm. You can feel that gentle rolling. I don't remember feeling a rolling effect. I do remember feeling the rumble in my feet. Yeah. But that gentle rolling can become a violent shaking. It probably almost feels like you're on the water. You know, that mm-hmm. that buoyant feeling that you get mm-hmm. if you're on a boat and you know you've got, you know, it's just unstable under mm-hmm. you. You've got sea legs. That and point. that violent shaking, and, and this may be sudden. Mm-hmm. It may come on gradually, or it may just be all of a sudden, boom, here it is, and there's this violent shaking. And that's what brings bridges and interstates and buildings and everything to the ground. Mm-hmm. It'll rupture the sewer pipes. It'll rupture the gas lines. Mm-hmm. You know, it can create a lot of havoc. That it can. So we need to have an earthquake plan and an emergency kit. Okay. Well, you know, you're right. We've never really discussed that before. Let me tell you about a couple of books that we believe you need to have in your library. Mark and I have written two books. Our very first book was Making Contact During Emergencies. This is information that may save your life if you're injured or lost or in a disaster or other emergency. And it'll give you great information on how you can use ham radio or GMRS radio, FRS radio, or other means when the cell phones don't work and the landlines don't work. And believe me, after a storm or a tragic emergency event, that's the kind of thing that can happen. How are you going to communicate? This book is going to tell you how. 
Our second book is entitled Practical Prepping for Everyday People. It's a common sense guide on preparing for life's ordinary emergencies. You know, every day somebody faces something going on. Automotive trouble, maybe a job loss or sudden illness. Perhaps they're relocating and can't get uh, the supplies that they need right away. So there's all different kinds of ways that we face some sort of an emergency. This book outlines all different types of scenarios and the ways in which you can become better prepared. You can find these books on Amazon and you can also order them from our website, www.practicalprepping.info. Remember, practical prepping for everyday people and making contact during emergencies. You're going to want to add these two books to your prepper library. So an earthquake plan is basically, first of all, you need to know where the safe spots are in each and every room. If you happen to be home, when this takes place. Yeah, the major threat is something falling on you. Now, that could be things falling out of shelves. It could be the ceiling. In a very violent earthquake, it could even be the walls falling. Oh, yeah. If if, the, if it's big enough and bad enough, it'll shake the foundations mm-hmm. of a building and sure, you know, it'll crumble. Where we're sitting at the moment would not be a great place in an earthquake. No, we're actually near some very large and heavy bookshelves mm-hmm. that are not anchored to the wall. Mm-hmm. So if they got topoly, yeah, this you know, room, we didn't have to sprint. <laughs> this room would not be a great room to be in, other than the fact that the desk over here is actually a very, very heavy, large table. Mm-hmm. And yeah, my brother built that. The problem with that is there's two windows right here beside the table. And it's great for pulling it back and looking outside while we're working at the desk, but it's still not a great place to be. But under heavy furniture often is a great place to be, a sturdy table. Even under the bed, if you can get under the bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we couldn't get under ours. Now, I imagine that's where the cats will be. Yeah, but probably. we've got stuff stored under there. It's a great place for some prepper storage with some of those Rubbermaid tubs, not the real tall ones, but they make them to slide under there. And we actually have our bed on risers, what, four-inch, six-inch risers? It's about six inches. And yeah. it, it's not necessarily for being able to store stuff under there. It's that in our mid-60s, it's easier to get in and out of the bed. Yeah, we're, we're both of us are tall. Yeah. Mark is over six feet and I'm close to it. So we're mm-hmm. a couple of tall drinks of water and we oh, do yeah. like to have an elevated uh, bed to sit on too. Absolutely. That's why I told them if they would give me a brand new Crown Vic and put 27 inch wheels on it, I would drive <laughs> it to the end of my career because it's gotten where I can't get in and out of a Crown Vic anymore. Not easily, but uh, that's why I like the Tahoe and then we're going to go to the Explorer. Nice. But I told him, put me some 27-inch wheels on on a LTD where I can get in and out, and I'd be happy with it. Okay, back to earthquake. All right. Now, if you're in the bed, a good thing to do is to cover your head with a pillow. Oh, yes. You know, try to, you know, first thing. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, a lot of people have shelf-type headboards, and they might, you know, junk them up with a lot of knickknacks and what we call tchotchkes. 
Well, those things can, you know, wail down and, and hit you right in the face. And, you know, you could, you, could, you could put an eye out. Yeah, not only in the bed. That That's why you don't want to be real close to a bookcase, Is not even if it is anchored to the wall, is because those things can vibrate off of it yeah. and fall and hit you. Another thing about being in the bed, well, one, the ceiling can crack and fall on you. Yeah. But a large number of beds, the headboard is at a window has a window behind the bed. Yes, some do, yeah. Well, yeah. ours does. Ours does, but I wouldn't say a large in, number. I, in I, both of our bedrooms, yeah. there's a window over the bed. Yeah. Not over it, but at behind the head of the it, bed. Yeah. So that's just something to take into consideration. You may find a bit of protection if you're in a doorway, because a lot of times a doorway inside your home represents a bit of heavier construction, more framing around that, and that might offer a bit of protection if you're just trying to find somewhere quick to get to away from the windows or anything that might fall. And it's a great place in a commercial building. If you find yourself in a commercial building, being in that doorway is probably a very safe place to be. Yeah. Be aware, too, of things like china cabinets, Mm -hmm. grandfather clocks, large entertainment cabinets, you know, the the big TV up on the wall, anything that you could imagine that could pop loose and fall. You don't want to be anywhere where it can land on you. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to... Stay as injury-free as possible, because if you're in the middle of an earthquake, you've already got some stress and anxiety going on. You don't want to also be hurt. I saw a photograph one time. Someone who lived in a very earthquake-prone area had built bookcases for knickknacks and such. And on the front side of the shelf, they had about a half inch or so lip. So that th- the base of the shelf was about a half inch or so below this, so that if anything were vibrating, it didn't vibrate hmm. off of the shelf. Oh, okay. And I thought that was a pretty neat idea. That's a neat idea. And another place that you can get is at the base of an interior wall, as long as you don't have anything above you. Yeah, yeah. You, but if you get at the base of that wall, you're statistically safer. But you don't want to be in front of or below some kind of, as you said, bookcase, but also kitchen cabinets. If I had dropped to the floor there in New Zealand, if it had come to a certain point, then there were kitchen cabinets with things above, like dishes, and they would have vibrated out. Yeah, they could have slipped right out and broken. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, we like chili and soup, but we don't want those soup cans hitting us right in the head, do we? No. No, 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 So the next thing we need to know in our earthquake plan is we need to know where to go. Do you know that a lot of folks that live in the Oakland, California area, and they're prone to very serious earthquake Mm -hmm. activity. I think I remember that big one in 1989 that happened, and it was, you know, just, I remember it was about a month after Hurricane Hugo because I thought, what's going on with nature? Was it during the ball game? It was during the ball game when they stopped that ball game because it was on TV. I was actually on a call. I was working that night, and I was on a call, and we were in this couple's house, and it was on, and somebody called attention to it. And so 
we stopped getting our information and everything for the report, mm-hmm. and we all four turned and watched that television wow. for a couple of minutes. But, you know, a lot of folks in California that know that the large earthquakes can hit, they'll tell you that their first impulse is to actually go outside, mm-hmm. to actually leave, because now you're talking about a difference between a 2.5 magnitude and about a 7.9 magnitude. Mm-hmm. That's enormously different. They're talking about their houses and businesses. They're crumbling if they're not earthquake built, which they that's a whole nother story about how they now construct buildings to have like almost shock absorbers mm-hmm. or they have they run much more foundational rebar and, and things into the ground even deeper. But they do. They'll run outside. They don't want to be inside when an earthquake's happening. Yeah, and, and that's if you're able to run outside at that point in mm-hmm. time, but you don't want to be under trees. You don't want to be having, you know, you want Anything to be away could, from the trees. Yeah, that could fall over. Well, the yeah. limbs could fall sure. as well. Yeah, and comparing exactly. some of the limbs that fall in our yard from time to time, that would hurt. Yes, it would. You know, one of the most ideal things that you could go to in this area if you needed protection in an earthquake would be one of those freestanding tornado shelters. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of folks can buy them privately for their own home, or some communities have a tornado shelter that groups of people can house in, and that's a, a little bit different from a safe area used for storms. Like, I don't know that you know. you'd have time to go to the community shelter. You may not have time because those things, mm-hmm. there's no way to, I mean, other than the fact that they they have those Richter scale graphs, you can't say, you know, at 11.01 this evening, this mm-hmm. earthquake's going to hit, because science hadn't gotten you, there you yet. You don't know. That, that would yeah, be you nice don't have to know. a lot of time. But that freestanding tornado shelter, and really my thinking on that is that nothing's going to fall and crush you. Yeah, they're kind of built to withstand all exactly. sorts of impact. And we're talking a, a rated shelter. We're not talking a safe area that's used for storms. Right. Not like a basement or a closet. The closet we get in would not be sufficient for an earthquake. Yep. So if you are in an open area outside, you definitely want to avoid the trees. You want to also be away from the house or any walls or overhangs. You've really just got to think about, am I anywhere where something can fall on me? Mm-hmm. And you've got to get away from that area. Exactly. Now, we need to know what to do. If you have that violent shaking, you can drop to your hands and knees, and that allows you to move without falling. That's actually a pretty good point. That That is a pretty good mm-hmm. point. And, you know, there are mornings I get up that I'm pretty shaky. <laughs> yeah, do you? I get up extra early every morning to be able to let my equilibrium settle and mm-hmm. get my coffee and get my feet under me. And that would probably be a good way to go if I had to go real quickly. If I had to move quickly, might be to crawl to the bathroom instead of trying to get up and walk. Well, it, it, but it works in a earthquake. Yeah, and you want to stay away from large glass windows, glass doors, any kind of glass, any kind of glass that could break. You know, a lot of the window and door glass isn't necessarily safety glass, hmm. although a lot of it is. But you still don't want to be crawling over even pelleted glass because that could still cut you. That will cut you. Now, you can get down next to low furniture. The thing I picture is get between the coffee table and the sofa. Oh, okay. Just lay down in there and maybe slide that coffee table over you as much as you can. It might at least deflect something that might fall. And if a wall fell, that gives you a 
quote-unquote air pocket to be in. And the next thing is an interesting topic, too. You need to know in your area what threats, and I'll explain that in a minute, what threats are near you, and here's what we mean by that. Do you live downstream from a dam? You know, here in the North Alabama area, there's TVA dams all around the different counties here, North Alabama, Middle Tennessee. I mean, lots of people live very close to a dam. Well, if an earthquake happens and the dam breaks, well, guess what? Somebody's going to get flooded. That water's coming. Do you live near a nuclear plant? Do you live near any kind of a utility or energy plant of any type that would have some sort of negative impact if the ground were suddenly sliding all over itself, yet like an electrical power grid, any of those things. Yeah, now the nuclear plants, they're built to withstand a major earthquake. Yes, they they are. They really are. But But there's a possibility. How about if you live near a prison? That's an interesting question. So, I mean, why, why are we asking that question? Well, could the walls of that prison be compromised? Could the fence be compromised? I never thought about that. Could it be a good opportunity for the zombies to get out? Oh, God, the zombies. Good to know. So just think about your region, your community, what's close to you, and how close is it to you if an earthquake situation were to compromise buildings or, you know, railroad yards or, you know, any kind of a big something that you may be near. I'm especially concerned about, you know, power plants and dams, because, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, when you unleash trillions of gallons of water with no way to stop it and an earthquake, you, know, you really got problems now. And if you're downstream from that, it's coming. And there have yeah. been towns that have been wiped out because of dam breaks. You, is, you, and this is the time to dialogue about this before anything like mm-hmm. this happens. All right. Now, just in case we have an earthquake... We need to have an emergency kit. Absolutely. And this is not totally specific to earthquakes. These are some things that you really want to have available after an earthquake. And it might be the type of thing that you need to put at the forefront of your mind is if you know something like this is happening, you've got to be able to put your hands on this kit because of some of the very important things that are inside. Yeah, if you're in a very earthquake-prone area, you might build a kit specific for this, and you might put it somewhere where you would be able to get it near your safe area in that particular room. Mm -hmm. One would be a first aid kit. Yes, and, you know, design your own. Uh, We have found from experience that a lot of times you buy these 100-piece first aid kits, and there's 98 Band-Aids and a tube of ointment, and a piece of gauze. Mm-hmm. And that's not really the most comprehensive first aid kit. So we ex- we encourage you to create and design your own first aid kit. And one of the reasons is the expense. And another reason is that you can customize it. Yeah. And like you were talking about, now there's some very good commercial kits available out there. But you're going to pay for them. Oh, yeah, sure. So what we did is, like, we bought a large bag of gauze, rolled gauze. Mm-hmm. And of all places, we found that at a military surplus store. Yeah, you can find all kinds of treasures mm-hmm. there. And you can get Israeli bandages, mm-hmm. large pressure bandages. Sure. You can get abdominal pads, which is just a, like a six-by-nine bandage. You can get four-by-fives, uh, four-by-fours. You can get... 
all kinds of first aid stuff. And with what you spend or what you invest might even be a better word. You have enough to make three or four kits by investing what you would in one major sure kit. Could. Yeah. And so we have them set up different ways. We have basic first aid here in the house with band-aids and we even have gauze and bandages in ours in the house. But in the car, they are set up more for car wrecks. If we come upon a car wreck, having been a paramedic for 20 years, it's something that I want to have available to be able to stop some bleeding on somebody. Now, here's one. There is a possibility after an earthquake that you could lose the power. Yep. So you're going to need a lights out kit. A lights out kit could come in handy. Mm-hmm. And that would just be things like flashlights. LED lanterns, or even the chemical lights, the chem sticks that you break. Yeah. And the glow sticks. Glow sticks. Something like that. A signaling device. See, this is really, I think, kind of earthquake specific. Not necessarily, now that I think it through, but it makes a lot of sense because let's say you are trapped in a building, but you're alive, you're breathing, and you've got your hands on your kit. If you've got one of those uh, whistles or one of those air horns like you Mm -hmm. hear at the football games, I think they banned them now, you know, rescuers are going to want to find you. Mm -hmm. And if you can, you know, blow that whistle or blow that air horn, they're going to find you. And so that's a very important thing to have. Yeah. Anything that could trap you in that building Mm -hmm. or in that house. You got to make some noise. Let somebody know I'm here and, and keep doing it. Don't yeah, give up. Not constant, because you will wear yourself out. Well, sure, but yeah, just... But yeah. you can blow it for a minute or two, and then wait five minutes. Mm-hmm. You might he- listen. And, and if you hear voices, start blowing on it and blow till you get their attention. Yeah, right, exactly. So that's a good thing to have. And some folks will carry a whistle on their keychain. Yeah. A lot of women will do that, mm-hmm. is to carry a signaling device on there. Now, in this kit, you might also want to have some water and snacks. Yeah. I mean, it could be that you may be down for a couple of days. Mm -hmm. You got to drink something and you got to eat something. And that's where you would go if you could move around. I'm talking about, you know, have a few bottles of water and pack of beef jerky or something if you're trapped in one area of your house. And another thing there, if you lose power, you're probably going to lose heat. And so you may want some blankets or even emergency blankets. Sure, absolutely. I mean, you know, whatever your season of the year is, prep your emergency kits thusly. Mm-hmm. It's hard to have a little temporary air conditioner, but uh, we'd like to try one for the tent. In yeah. fact, you bought one of those little, yeah, little after the fact. Yeah, we're gonna the next time we go tent camping and it's still warm weather, we're gonna try out our little portable air conditioner, mm-hmm. and we'll report back on that. Mm-hmm. Also, you want to have some adequate footwear available somewhere nearby, because if you start evacuating, 
You want to protect those feet. You may be stepping over some splintered wood with nails exposed, Mm -hmm. glass, metal, the kind of things you don't want to be stepping on. So, yeah, maybe think about having some of those steel-toed boots, some work boots, or at least some kind of very thick, heavy sneaker. Not not some of these little house shoes, not flip-flops. Not house shoes, yeah. flip-flops, or even tennis shoes. Yeah. You really want heavy-duty, heavy-soled yeah. shoes. Some hiking boots or something like that. And uh, if you have those available, if not, just a very sturdy pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. My work Oxfords, uh, I wear Oxfords some, and we wear boots some, but my Oxfords have almost like a service station sole on them. I know what you're talking about. It's and a little bit extra thick. It's extra thick, and it's very hard. Mm-hmm. And I've walked around on a lot of wrecks with those things. You know, and for ladies, if if worse came to worse, if you could, if you needed to put on a pair of winter boots, mm-hmm. who cares what it looks like if it's in the middle of July and you're in an earthquake? If a pair of boots would give you the type of foot and leg protection that you need, by all means, put them on. Yeah, you can and get ladies, to and put them on. It's okay to run out without doing your makeup. Yeah. If, if. <laughs> or your hair. Men, too, okay? Men, too. Now, Let's I be fair. I don't worry about my makeup. Well, some, not your makeup, but there are some men out there that... Uh, you know who you are, too. You'll wash your hair three times before you get it right. Okay, am I telling the truth? Am <laughs> not, I telling the truth? Not me. I wash, not you, but... I can wash mine with washcloth. There's cloth. some out there. Anyway, this is the makeup and the hair is not the most important priority. No. Get yourself out as... Getting to safety. Get to safety. All right, now it's good to have some emergency supplies to make emergency repairs. Absolutely. And this is something akin to the tornado or the extreme wind damage. Mm-hmm. And you may want to have some things like some tarps, hammer, nails, furring strips, a ladder to reach the roof. If you are physically able and confident to go on the roof, you might want to do these repairs yourself. Or if you're not confident and not physically able have these supplies so that a neighbor may be willing to get up there and put a tarp on for you if you have damage to your roof. You know, are you able to just go and buy like strips of roofing material, like shingles and things like well, that? Well, you they come in packs that are uh, a third of a square of of shingles. I see. And so it's probably four inches thick, something like that. This is not time to be trying to repair the roof. You want to cover the roof. I see. And this is where the tarp comes in. Okay. Same thing with tornadoes. Anything that damages that roof, you want to get it covered until you can get a roofer there. There may be structural damage. There's damage to the shingles. Now, what you're thinking is that since I keep some shingles, we had a problem with ours, and I was able to get up there and replace some of the shingle. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the night of, the oh, yes. morning uh, of. More of an emergency situation. Emergency temporary repairs. That makes sense. So you can do that, and then that that gives you time to work on your roof when it's not got water coming through it or something. True that. So this is in addition to our regular prepping supplies. You know, if where you are is safe, I think after an earthquake event, if you feel comfortable staying in your home or 
whatever structure you're in. Yeah, uh, that's probably the safest place for you. Staying would be safe for you. You need to take into consideration the water, the gas, and the electricity could be compromised. That's true. And you mentioned in the opening that the water lines can be compromised. Mm -hmm. They can be broken. Yeah. And that could contaminate the water. And so we want to be careful with that. You can have gas lines broken, not necessarily just inside the house, but in the main gas line. And that's the type of thing you see out in the West Coast when they have the more serious earthquakes. Mm -hmm. They're always and forever having to deal with sudden fire Mm -hmm. because of gas lines erupting. Yeah, and if we had one here and it was one that is significant, then I would go out and turn off the water and the gas. Yeah. One, I don't want gas leaking in the house. That could cause a very explosive situation, mm-hmm. pun intended. <laughs> and the broken lines can contaminate the water. And if your structure is damaged, it's probably safest to turn off the electricity until you can get it checked. Some of that shaking, especially the violent shaking, could cause damage to the electrical system behind the walls. It sure could. And that could later start a fire. Mm -hmm. So that's something you want to be very, very safe with. So when you're feeling the earth move under your feet, you know, like Carol King used to sing about, be aware that an earthquake can happen in the most unusual and mm-hmm. unforeseen places. And some folks live in America that are very accustomed to it. And then other folks like us, we live in America in an area that we're not accustomed to an earthquake at all. And that's one reason it's not really been on our radar is not something that we have a lot of experience with. And we had to do a lot of research mm-hmm. on this episode. But the fact that it has happened before leads me to believe that it will happen Again. And since 2020, I, all bets are off. You <laughs> right. Know. Yeah. The uh, earth is trying to tell us something. <laughs> and, you know, it, it may quake and release the flying zombie frogs. No, that's not practical. Well, no. the no. alien flying Let me bring you back frogs. to practical prepping. Folks, we enjoy you listening to us, and we hope that you're able to glean something of value from the things that we share with you. We're ongoing research on a lot of different topics. We enjoy bringing you information. We never want to create fear and panic in your heart. We do want to give you real talk, though. We're going to be honest with you to the very best of our ability and the very greatest information that we can share, we were going to be very straight talk with you about risks and how you can protect yourself and why you need to do that. So it's serious to us. And I believe that it's serious to you too. And I think that together we can learn from one another. And we're interested in learning about your earthquake experience. We'd love for you to email us and tell us about your earthquake experience Uh, in any way that you want to share it with us, because I want to do a little more research on earthquakes and how to respond if they happen. That that would be a great podcast guest interview. It sure would. someone would be interested in being a podcast guest, Mm -hmm. and you've gone through an earthquake, and it's more than like North Alabama, you know, I felt the the rumble. Yeah. Uh, If you would just, if you'd be interested in doing that, email us and 
Let's talk about it a little bit. You know, there are people all over the world, like in some of the Caribbean islands that they've had earthquakes, or the Philippines, Mm -hmm. and they've had, you know, devastating earthquakes, and by the grace of God, they've survived it. And I would really be interested to know, what was life like after that devastating earthquake, and how did the the survivor find a way to make it? Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, that would be a great information to have we'd love to talk to you about and that. we can do the interview anywhere you are we may have to yeah. adjust time zones and sure. such but we can do it by computer and uh, we won't put your face on the screen we will see you you'll see us but we'll only do the audio so don't worry yeah. you know you don't have to get up and do your makeup and your hair <laughs> for it we do a lot of interviews that way, so uh, people find that to be a comfort comfort zone. I'm not getting up and doing my makeup before we do an interview. And there, <laughs> there have been some times we've done some fairly early ones so that we could have a reasonable time in their time zone. Exactly. So, so folks, we appreciate you being here with us. And as Krista usually says. You know, shaking and rattling and rolling happens, so you need to stay prepared. And we'll see you next time. You can reach us on Facebook at Practical Prepping. You can email us at info at practicalprepping.info. And our website is practicalprepping.info. And remember, stuff happens. Stay prepared.